How difficult or how easy is it really to live sustainably? What is all that zero waste movement about? And how much is your bank account going to suffer from your transition to a more eco-friendly lifestyle? Thanks for tuning in. I'm Valentina and welcome to another day in my life without plastic. Hello and welcome again on this beautiful Tuesday. Today we're going to talk trash. Lots of trash. In specific, we're going to talk about how and why you should be reducing your waste. What is the zero waste movement all about? How expensive is it really to live eco-friendly? And lastly, we're going to look at a conspiracy theory and see if this whole environmental thing is not just a distraction from the real goal, creating a global dictatorship. Ooh, that one is so hot and spicy. So stay until the end for that conspiracy tea. <laughs> also stay tuned for the featured product of the week. Well, let's jump right into it. No more time to waste. Well, first, before we understand the sustainable movement, we need to understand trash. Why? Because a lot of people opt in to follow the so-called zero-waste lifestyle or nowadays some people follow a low-waste lifestyle just because of how impactful trash is to the environment. So let's take a look at it. Well, when we throw away trash, we technically forget it exists. The lifestyle of the products that we use technically ends for us the moment we put it in the trash can. But what really happens after that? Where does everything go? What does away mean? Where is away? Well, 267.8 million tons of waste is created in the United States every single year. Can you imagine that? Just picture 267.8 million tons of trash. And most of us by now have heard about the importance of proper disposal. And still, most of us are unaware where our trash goes, or more specifically, the negative impact that arises from disposing of it improperly. So, from that estimated 267.8 million tons of waste generated annually, about 32.5% of the, this trash is recycled or composted, 12.5% is incinerated and the remaining 55% is buried in landfill. And you know the real problem is that almost two-thirds of landfill waste is biodegradable. So those are mostly products that we could have disposed in a better way instead of sending them to the landfills. And what happens is that when this waste rots and decomposes it produces harmful gases like CO2 and methane which are both greenhouse gases and contribute to global warming. Landfills also pollute the local environment, including the water and the soil. Reducing waste means less environmental impact, less resources and energy used. And in the end of the day, we would save money from all of those processes. And not only that, but some people claim that living near landfills can actually cause health problems. Landfill sites emit poisonous gases such as hydrogen sulfide, which severely impacts respiratory organs and can cause lung cancer. Children are more at risk, at 11% chance of being admitted to hospital for respiratory problems and high chance of 13% for asthma. Okay, but landfills are bad, but everything's gonna go away eventually, right? Like the trash that's there is not gonna stay there forever right? Well, let's see. How long does it take for non-compostable items to break down? And I'm specifically talking about non-compostable because obviously things like paper and other compostable things, they could take a couple of months to a few years to decompose, which I guess considering the lifespan of those products and the lifetime that we're here on this planet, it's still considerably okay-ish. But let's take a look at some non-compostable items. All right, the favorite and most famous one, plastic bottles. Where plastic bottles can take up to 450 years to decompose. 
depending on the way the plastic's made, what type of plastic it is, the size, and so on. It could also take 70 in best, best case scenario, but definitely in most cases, it could take up to 450 years to decompose. Plastic bags, those little bags that you use in the grocery store to put in your fruits and veggies, or also once you're checking out, putting in all of your products in those single-use plastic bags, they take anywhere from 500 to 1,000 years to decompose. Letter shoes, if you throw out your letter shoes to the landfills, they will take anywhere between 25 and 40 years to decompose. Cigarettes, they take up to 12 years. Yes, that little cigarette there, it's going to stay in the landfill for over a decade. Here's a big one. Sanitary napkins and children diapers. 500 to 800 years. Wow, can you imagine that? 800 years sitting in that landfill, those dirty diapers. Oreo cookie packaging. 200 years. Yes, I'm talking about that little packaging that brings, what, like, six cookies does it bring? I don't know, four? Like, it's like a minimal amount of cookie. It's not even enough to satisfy you. And yet the packaging is going to last 200 years in the landfill. Starbucks cups. Those usual coffee cups that you get or any juice cups. You know, even if you think that the coffee cups are paper, they have plastic lining on the inside. So they're not recyclable. They actually do go to the landfill and they take about 50 years to decompose. Here's one that really, really, really breaks my heart. Um, you know that plastic wrap that goes around cans and bottles, the one that's like in little circles? Well, that takes up to 400 years to decompose. And not only does it stay in the landfills forever, that's like the best case scenario if it actually ends up in the landfill because that specific plastic is very easy to get lost along the way and end up somewhere in the ocean killing marine life. So... People, if you're using that, if you buy beer or Coke or anything in cans that comes with that, make sure to at least, at least cut it and don't just throw it out in its actual form because if that ends up in the ocean, it can definitely harm marine life. So if it's in the landfill decomposing for 400 years, that's actually the good case scenario. <laughs> All right, but here's some highlights. Like those specific ones definitely drew my attention. How long do you think it takes for your plastic toothbrush to decompose? Well, I'm not going to keep you guessing. It takes 400 years. So this toothbrush that you switch pretty much every three months if you follow the instructions of your dentist and you don't use one plastic toothbrush for like five years, then yeah, you'll be sending a lot of toothbrushes to the landfills, each one of them lasting about 400 years. And another one that also drew my attention was aluminum cans. So usually, you know, like the canned food that you buy comes in aluminum cans and those take 200 years to decompose. Balloons. Everyone loves some balloons and party. Well, Balloons never decompose. Yes, you heard it right. Never. They stay in the landfills forever. Now, let me just point out, they are latex balloons and those do decompose in up to four years in the landfills. So if you definitely want to celebrate with balloons, try to at least pick latex uh, balloons and not plastic ones. How can you determine? Well, usually the ones that say happy birthday on them, the ones that are like, they look shiny and glossy. Those are plastic for sure. So those are the ones that are never going to go away. And also people releasing them just up in the sky. Just because you don't see them, it doesn't mean they're gone. They're actually going to remain on this planet forever. So please, when you buy your next balloons, um, consider at least getting latex balloons and any, something else you could do is you could also try and reuse them right when we talk about sustainability you're gonna see that a lot of it really requires you to reuse stuff rather than buying new things or you know um, anything else recycling or whatever like reusing would be your first step so when you buy balloons 
try to um, flatten them instead of popping them. So when you're blowing them, tie them maybe with a tie or something that you could easily cut off in the end and flatten the balloons instead of tying a knot and having to pop them in the end. You know, just get creative. But one last thing I wanted to point out, glass bottles. Yes, glass bottles. How long do you think those glass bottles or jars or anything glass takes to decompose in the landfill? Little tip, it's not never. It's not like the balloons. Glass does decompose eventually after one million years. One million years. Can you imagine that? That glass just sitting there for a million years? I don't even know how many generations that is. You know, just for reference, um, plastic can be recycled seven to nine times before it's no longer recyclable. And glass, steel, and aluminum lose no quality during recycling and can be recycled endlessly. You know, I didn't mention this, but steel is another one that never decomposes. Steel is going to stay on this planet forever. So the best option for you is to find a way to recycle it so that at least you give it some new life instead of letting it sit in the landfill because that's all it's going to do. It's going to sit there. It's not going to decompose or disappear, right? So literally one day when the world has ended and aliens finally arrive here down to earth they're only gonna find million year old glass bottles and steel that's all they're gonna see <laughs> well anyway i think you can see why there's so many people around the world that have put a lot of effort into trying to reduce their trash and you know me personally i've also got on this a plastic-free lifestyle, or that's why I'm calling this my life without plastic. It's my attempt of reducing plastic specifically in my lifetime. But of course, while doing that, I also get to think about different types of materials and other things that I want to reduce and that I'm actively reducing from my lifestyle. But of course, there are always people who take this to the extreme. And I want to share with you the background, the ins and outs, and everything you need to know about the zero waste movement. All right, what is the zero waste movement? Let's start by explaining it, right? So the zero waste movement is a lifestyle where people aim to eliminate their trash output completely. And when I say completely, I mean zero trash. And this means no plastic, no wrappers, no garbage. And while this may seem like an unrealistic task in today's very disposable society, you know, everything, um, any product you can think of, most of them have a disposable version that a lot of people will opt in for. But despite that difficulty, there are a lot of everyday people all over the country and not just the country, but also the world that are showing that it can be done. So what do they do? Well, they basically reevaluate re the way they approach the concept of trash. These leaders of the zero waste movement are teaching the world that we all have the ability to make a difference in protecting our environment. So what's the purpose actually of this whole zero waste thing? Well, a lot of waste we throw out on a daily basis ends up in the landfills. And like I mentioned, a lot of it ends up there unnecessarily because it could have either been recycled at least a few times and given it new life before throwing it out to the landfills or it could have been reused or maybe repurposed right but instead it most of it has ended up in the landfill and to put it simply landfills are giant holes in the ground where waste is buried and then covered with soil or an alternative material and the problem with landfills is that they're horrible for the environment. As a leading producer of methane, landfills contaminate soil, emit harmful gases, contribute to global warming. So those are all factors why people decide to refuse to produce any waste. But just like everything sustainable that we've talked about on this podcast so far, zero waste is no exception. And while the movement may seem and sound to be very new, the concept itself is not. In fact, any ancient or pre-modern civilization, tribe or village would immediately recognize the concept of zero waste. 
or rather would wonder why exactly and when our wasteful practices became the norm, right? So just think about your grandparents and maybe even your parents. Um, they're likely to remember a time when they returned milk bottles to the store or they used reusable bags, containers, jars in the kitchen and at the grocery store. They didn't have to purchase everything in single-use packaging. They brought their own containers. Also, older generations had the mentality of you break it, you fix it, whereas nowadays it's you break it, you throw it out. Um, so a lot of things go to waste, even though new life could have been given to them and we could have repurposed them for different things. So many of the foundational concepts behind the zero waste movement can be traced back centuries, if not millennia. However, there are some notable differences and developments that have ensured the zero waste concept is suited to our modern levels of consumption and our growing populations. And while it is difficult to pinpoint exactly who started the zero waste movement and when, there are a number of big players and influential individuals who have helped push the movement into the mainstream. So just a brief history of how the zero waste movement developed over the last few years. When I say last few years, we are going to go back a little bit into like the 70s and 80s to just explore how everything just started uh, before zero waste was even a word people really used. So zero waste is tied to recycling. And nowadays, recycling seen kind of like the last resort for modern zero wasters. And we're going to explore this concept in a separate episode where we're going to really talk about recycling and what it means. Is it good or bad? Does it actually help or not? Right. We're going to talk about all of that. But for zero wasters nowadays, recycling is really seen as their last resort. The first things they would want to do is just not get any trash if possible or if they absolutely have to get some packaging or something that would produce trash to recycle it right or before recycling it they would try to get something that they can reuse so they don't have to throw it out physically throw it out even if it goes into a recycling bin so that's why just in short this is why recycling scene is like the last resort for it but had there not been um you know a surge in interest in recycling, we probably wouldn't be where we are now, right? Because recycling is a step of reducing waste or at least of thinking about trash in a new different way. So today we try to focus on waste prevention instead of end-of-life waste management, right? So recycling remains an integral part of the zero waste concept. It is still a big step that a lot of people make even if they don't commit fully to saying no entirely to trash at least recycling helps in some way and recycling can be traced back to different civilizations but it wasn't until the 1970s that serious investment was made in the industry that saw potential energy and cost savings in reclaiming materials such as aluminum this, along with fast-growing ecological movements and the inception of Earth Day in 1970, kickstarted a movement towards reassessing the concept of waste entirely. And, of course, all of this happened long before single-use plastics became, you know, so popular. And at that time, the energy recovery facilities were seen as a viable way to reduce landfill waste. Well, let's go briefly into the 80s. Perhaps the first mention of the term zero waste comes from Daniel Knapp's concept of total recycling. And Knapp and his wife founded Salvaging Operating Operation and Market Urban Ore in Berkeley, California in the 1980s. And from this real-world experiment, they showed how all types of waste could be diverted from landfill and reused within the community. Its success is still evident today, and Urban Ore estimates that it diverts more than 8,000 tons of waste away from landfill each year. Now, 8,000 tons, of course, it's a lot, but just think about the 267.8 um, that we produce. 
So, of course, it is a concept that shows that it's possible, but it only touches the surface of the problem. And at the same time, in the 80s, a lot of communities across the United States started adopting composting, recycling, and just waste diversion programs and goals, while other organizations such as the National Coalition Against Mass Burn, Incineration, and Safe Alternatives, and the Sound Resource Management Group also began to campaign and analyze waste and waste management practices in the United States. Now, some of you may have questions again about recycling and what happens to trash when you recycle it, but save those questions for um, the episode that when we're going to talk about recycling. I really just want to talk about trash in general here and just explore the concept why people decide to go zero waste. Well, in the 90s, you know the concept I just mentioned, the urban ore, um, by Daniel Knapp, well, that actually spread all the way to Australia. And Knapp shared news of the Australian Capital Territory's No Waste by 2010, becoming the first program of its kind in the world. By the end of the decade, several other individuals started openly talking about waste management and better ways of reducing trash. And Georgia Senator Donzella James introduced the first zero waste legislation in the United States, setting the goal of zero waste by 2020 in the state. And as the year 2000 came closer and closer, the zero waste concept had made it into Time magazine. So over the course of the next decade, the zero waste concept gathered pace and an increasing number of individuals, organizations, and governments begin to flesh out the framework and lay out a path to achieving it. Not just thinking about it, but actually a plan to, to achieve that, that goal. In 2001, the first Zero Waste International Alliance Summit was proposed, and while the reception was positive, funding the event in New Zealand proved difficult. And by 2010... The zero waste movement arrived to the mainstream. It was no longer just a concept explored by experts, policymakers, and environmentalists, but regular people, you and I, could now participate in the zero waste movement. And there were several influencers who started um, trends. People wrote books um, outlining guides of how to start your zero waste lifestyle suggesting different products to use, different replacement and alternatives. All right, let's take a quick break. This month is second half September and today I want to actually feature not just a product, but an entire new sustainable concept that you can try out, thrifting. Buying secondhand means you'll be keeping plastic out of landfills and positively contributing to the decrease in worldwide textile demand and subsequent waste. Through thrifting, you can keep the resources invested in all of these clothing items from going to waste. In the end of the day, you are helping to create less pollution. Also, if you're crafty, you can definitely upcycle your own clothes or thrift clothes and then upcycle them to make them look brand new. I recently did that with a skirt. When I say recently, that was literally over the last weekend. And if you're not on YouTube, then make sure to check out my blog or Instagram to see how it turned out to be. <laughs> and then we got to the mason jar. Yes, the famous mason jar. Maybe you've seen some posts about people fitting, let's say, five years worth of trash inside a single mason jar. And this is where I was talking about the zero waste movement becoming an extreme Um it was the concept of reducing trash, not, not simply reducing trash, eliminating trash almost entirely to the point that you could actually fit five years worth of trash inside a simple small mason jar. And I mean, of course, people who can do this, it's an amazing achievement and lifestyle. I think that everyone, again, chooses their own lifestyle and way of living. So we can't really judge anyone for their decisions. So if that's something that they can sustain and something that's convenient with their own lifestyle, then that's perfectly fine. But the problem with this was that it just became very unattainable for a lot of people. 
And we've talked about this, right? Like anytime something becomes an inconvenience for us, it's just so much harder to keep on doing it and just sticking to it. And that's a big problem, right? Because in the end of the day, this whole sustainability thing should be convenient for us. And the more convenient it is, the more people will participate. And similarly to veganism, right? People just think, well, being vegan is very hard because you have to say no to everything that comes from an animal. And some people just love specific animal products. Maybe not necessarily meat. Some people love cheese. So they don't want to say no to cheese. And it just, again, puts us in little boxes and tells us to not move outside of that box. So if you want to be classified as a zero waster, in that sense, you would have to be able to fit your trash in a mason jar. Well, a lot of people nowadays started um, transitioning from this so-called zero waste movement to low waste movement. And there's a lot of influencers that, that have also spoken about it, which I'm really glad because honestly, influencers nowadays are a big part of our lives. A lot of people follow them for tips, for lifestyle um, tips and so on. And, you know, having them openly say you don't have to be 100% zero waste. You can just try reducing in areas that you can that are convenient for you. And let, let's call you low waste just so you feel like we can classify you, right? Like people feel like they, the need to be classified and put in a group. So if you can't be called zero waste, let's just call you low waste. So that's the new term. So if you hear low waste, that's what it means. It's basically us everyday people um, reducing trash here and there, just not committing 100% to the mason jar lifestyle. But I mean, let's just think about the problems for a bit. What are the problems of um, living zero waste? Well, in my personal opinion, one of the biggest problem is that the movement kind of turns a lot into um, the, just the issue of packaging, right? Because packaging is the most obvious way of reducing trash. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to try to find something package free, shop bulk, or, uh, you know, find something that in the package you can reuse or recycle. So you always have to be thinking about the packaging. But what happens to medicine, for example, if you or a loved one is sick, you're going to think about the packaging, or you're just going to go grab that medicine and give it to them right? Like at what point do you draw the line? Um, also, we have to think about buying something package-free or with minimal or recyclable, reusable packaging. Is it necessarily better, right? Like sometimes we have to choose what we stand for and sometimes our values can contradict um, each other. So for example, buying zero-waste cosmetic products. It just may not be the best option for your lifestyle or for your health. Not everyone is blessed with perfect skin to use all natural cosmetic products that have zero chemicals, right? Most people will get oily skin or outbreaks and so on from using only all natural products just because they're not um, strong enough for their skin types. Or what if you already have a certain condition? Like let's say you have dandruff and you're trying to fix it. Are you just going to use home remedies and, you know, all natural products to try and fix it? Or are you actually going to use something that let's say your dermatologist prescribes, even though this product would come in a plastic packaging? The other thing is that people oftentimes think about plastic as a packaging, right? As, as the box, as the container, we get products in. But there's also such thing as microplastics. And I'm only going to briefly mention this because this is also a topic for a separate episode. It just has so much um, about it that it I just can't um, start to even explain too much about it on here. We're going to spend another two hours talking about it. But basically... Um, Let's say shampoos, um, a lot of shampoos contain microplastics. So you may purchase something, let's say refillable, you go to a refill store and buy it um, in your own container. But what if that shampoo has microplastics? It's still going to end up in the ocean. Microplastics, 
they're basically what just like the name says micro you don't see them they're part of 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 the content but when they drain into the water they actually contain plastic so that also pollutes the ocean you know so at some point you need to draw a line and see where your values lie what exactly you want to choose what exactly you stand for and sometimes you do have to go for that packaging right like sometimes you can't say no i mean you know think about let's say toilet paper or diapers yeah we heard that diapers are huge polluters right i think it was up to 500 500 to a thousand years um they can sit in the landfills each diaper well you know some mothers are so busy they you know they work full-time their mothers full-time they have housework to do other things to do they just can't afford to be using cloth diapers and having to wash so many uh, cloth diapers every single day some of them and i mean again it comes back to convenience it's just more convenient to use a regular diaper so this is why the low waste movement is all about reducing waste in the areas where we can so if you can't get rid of that diaper because it's more convenient for you to use regular diapers on your newborn or your baby right then um try reducing waste in other areas right and you know ever since i started um consciously trying to reduce waste um because again when i uh when i would go to my grandparents or even my parents they definitely i can definitely see they have that mentality not a zero waste mentality but just the mentality of reusing things um just making the most out of things they own rather than using them one single time and throwing them away so i've noticed that ever since i started to actively make choices to reduce waste in my life uh, i've also influenced some friends I have friends coming to me and telling me how they've also switched little things. You know, they've purchased maybe a metal straw or um, they're taking their reusable bags to the store and so on. So you can be that person. You can be that little influence in your friend circle and your family circle. But again, this is something that you can't force on others. You can try and educate people, but you can't go and force them to change their lifestyles because everyone lives differently and what may be convenient for you may not be convenient for them or for for that matter they may not even have access to certain things like some people may not have access to recycling or composting so you can't go and like force them to do it you, you can educate them and they can see if it fits with their lifestyle but you can't force anyone to do anything so that's one thing we always have to keep in mind we can try to be that positive impact but we don't want to be that person to go and, and, and force people to live the way we want to live, right? This is where the backlash of the zero waste movement came, that it was so extreme that it actually turned people off. People wouldn't want to commit to any of it. They would say, well, why should I do something? Um, I can't go all in, so I might as well not do anything. And that's wrong because living low waste or let's just say living imperfectly sustainable can have such big impacts, such perfect results, right? The more people live imperfectly sustainable, the more perfect that result can become. But let's talk about the big question. How expensive is it to really reduce your waste and live more sustainably? Well, I took a look at this um, article i'm gonna link it in in my blog so you can also read through it and and see exactly uh where this person went but basically they're comparing the same grocery list from two different stores and one of the stores is walmart another one is more of like a sustainable bulk refill store so um i just want to read through some of the the prices so that you can see what they came up with okay so for example um a pound and a half of black beans at walmart that comes i think they bought um oh metal packaging so i guess that was a can a can so a big can or several cans of black beans um came up to a dollar 44 
and at the low waist grocery store it came up to 238 for 1.5 pounds of black beans so it was definitely about a dollar more expensive to buy it package free so what she did was she just refilled a container uh two pound rice 232 at walmart and 299 at the zero waste store and then um celery 158 at walmart and 129 at the store so one thing that you're going to notice is that usually when you buy um, fruits and vegetables it can actually get a lot cheaper buying them without packaging why because when you go and buy let's say a bag of apples they force you to get 15 apples but sometimes, you know, you just need three or four. You're not going to eat 15 apples. And if you don't eat them, they're just going to go to waste. They're just going to rot. So um, that's how that's one way you can reduce your expenses by actually picking the exact amount of fruits and vegetables that you think you and your family will eat. And you're also going to reduce food waste, right? Because you're not going to be throwing away any food. But let's continue down the list and see what else she got. Okay, yeah, so for example, 10 tomatoes in um, Walmart, they came up to $3.16 and in the low waste store, $1.98. Squash, onions, lettuce, spinach, carrots, garlic, all of these, they came up way cheaper um, in the low waste store. Apples, again, like I mentioned, apples, uh, and then chickpeas, for example, that's again, a can um, at Walmart for a dollar and then in the other store a dollar 39 for loose um, you know refillable chickpeas so you just bring a container put, put as, much, as many as you need now you can go and take a look at the entire list if you're curious about every single item on there but overall um, this was a vegan shopping list so she opted in for a vegan shopping list i'm gonna tell you in a second why but basically she ended up paying at walmart 59.76 and at fresh time which is the low waste store um 56.10 so actually she did save three dollars from that same shopping list at the low waste store it was more expensive at walmart well you know why did she opt in for a vegan shopping list i I mentioned that briefly when we talked about veganism, but overall, when you are vegan, you tend to produce less waste, right? Because um, it's much easier to, let's say, buy chickpeas and black beans and things like that refillable uh, from a bulk store or in either with no packaging or minimal packaging, reusable packaging and so on. Whereas if you eat meat, meat most of the time will come wrapped in plastic unless you go to like a butcher and you ask them to maybe put it in your own container if you bring a container but other than that anytime you go to the deli anytime you just grab meat or any animal products for that matter milk cheese and so on butter everything comes wrapped or packaged in plastic so that's why it could definitely be much easier to reduce waste when you're vegan. But again, it does not mean that you have to be vegan in order to reduce waste. Instead, just challenge yourself. Challenge yourself to say no to packaging. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just try to do whatever is possible for you to do. Let those veggies run loose in your cart. Nobody cares. You're going to wash them before you eat them anyway. You don't have to put them in a little bag. And if you absolutely must put them in a bag, then maybe try to purchase um, the reusable produce bags that I had mentioned in a previous episode. You know, you can wash them and reuse them endlessly. So if you absolutely have to bring bags to put your veggies in at the store, that would be a good investment. It only is going to cost you a couple of dollars and last you probably a lifetime. You know, next time you go to a store that has a bulk section, try it out. Don't be so intimidated. Um, it can be confusing. The prices look different because it's per pound. But just try it out. Try buying the pasta, the rice, the beans in the amount that you would need, right? Like this is how you can also save money. You don't have to buy in big quantities you can just buy what you think you're gonna actually eat 
And if you really want to one-up it, definitely take a look at um, some refill stores in your area or some zero-waste stores. For example, here in Miami, we have Verde, which is a store where you can go and refill a lot of different things. You could refill um, anything from shampoo and detergent to honey and to even beans and pasta, right? So you can literally go with your own little jar and you basically only pay for the content, right? You just refill whatever you need. You pay per ounce and um, you walk out of there with zero packaging. So that's also an option. You can definitely try it out. It's really all about trial and error. When I first started, I ended up go like doing each of my grocery sh uh, shopping trips in a different store until I found which supermarket was most convenient for me to purchase everything I needed, A, as package-free as possible, and B, as budget-friendly as possible, because I also didn't want to spend too much money. So again, the more people do sustainability imperfectly, the more perfect the result will be. Well, enough about zero waste and low waste and trash and all of that. Let's get to the spicy conspiracy tea. <laughs> well, today I'm only going to present to you one single conspiracy theory. Um, usually I do about three or four, but I just wanted... This one was a bit long, so I didn't want to make this episode too long. So I just wanted to keep it to one single um, conspiracy theory. And I think this one is also a lot to digest. So let's see where we get with it. Just a little disclaimer, um, like I always say, I don't take a stand when I present conspiracy theories. I just want people to know what's out there on both sides, right? So, so this is why I'm going to show you what people think about, some people think about the environment and environmental policies. And we're going to be talking about Agenda 21, <laughs> have you ever heard of it? Do you know what it is? Um, Agenda 21 is not a conspiracy. It's an actual document. The conspiracy theory is about the document, but Agenda 21 exists. Um, there, it, it, it is a UN document. So let's see what exactly it's all about. Well, at the conclusion of June 3rd to 14, in 1992, United Nations Conference on Environment and Development in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, President George H.W. Bush and the leaders of 177 other nations signed a document known as Agenda 21. At the time, it was seen as perfectly sensible planning paper, a non-binding statement of intent aimed at dealing with sustainability on an increasingly crowded planet so as you know overpopulation has been um, something we've talked about for a while you know like using resources wisely making sure that what we have is going to be enough for everyone on earth so um, this is where agenda 21 comes into play it also touched bases on global warming climate change all of that good stuff well in 22 years since that day at the hands of groups like uh, the John Birch Society, Agenda 21 has been transformed in much of the American public mind into a secret plot to impose a totalitarian world government. And you may be wondering, how did we go from sustainability to a global dictatorship? <laughs> Well, let's see how, how we got there. I don't know. I don't know how we got there. Let's see why we got there even in the first place. Well, theorists claim that the effort um, of Agenda 21 is really to crush freedom in the name of environmentalism. And it isn't only extremists pushing this conspiracy theory. In January 2012, the Republican National Committee bought into the propaganda denouncing Agenda 21 in a resolution as a destructive and insidious scheme that is meant to impose socialist communist redistribution of wealth. The demonization of Agenda 21 began among extremist groups, again like the John Birch Society, uh, the same outfit that was effectively ejected 
from the conservative movement after accusing President Dwight D. Eisenhower of being a communist agent. The Birch Society and an area of other radical right groups, as they're called, um, see Agenda 21 and virtually all other global efforts as part of a plan on the part of global el elites to form a socialistic one-world government, or also known as the New World Order. You probably may have heard about the New World Order, even if you haven't heard about Agenda 21. But basically, theorists argue that Agenda 21 will lead to what they call a new dark age of pain and misery yet unknown to mankind. It is comprehensive plan of utopian environmentalism, social engineering and global political control, the most dangerous threat to America's society yet. It will make our nation a vassal of the UN, result in the destruction of our lives, and actually they claim that it would lead to having 90% of population murdered. And these critics also argue that the end will be the imposition of a collectivist world government. One government for all. Agenda 21 is not a treaty. It has no force of law, no enforcement mechanisms, no penalties, and no significant funding. Yet, Alabama has passed a law uh, meant to outlaw any effects of that plan. The legislatures of Kansas, New Hampshire, Tennessee all passed state resolutions condemning it. And there are other states as well that followed those steps. And, you know, like, this is not something that we just talk about Republicans and Democrats, pros and cons. There have actually been, been um, oppositions from both sides in this case. So Dick Morris, the Bill Clinton advisor turned Fox News conspiracy theorist, um, he talks about Agenda 21. Specifically, in his 2012 book, Here Comes the Black Helicopters, UN Global Government and the Loss of Freedom. He accuses them of canceling out both free will for the individual and democratic uh, determination of policies for the nation. Only their fetish has priority. Fox News' Eric Balling sounds similar, uh, saying in 2012 that a proposed White House Rural Council sounded eerily similar to the UN plan called Agenda 21, where a centralized planning agency would be responsible for oversight into all areas of our lives, a one-world order. Now, remarkably, there's also some opposition, as I said, to Agenda 21 from the left, notably in the form of Democrats against UN Agenda 21. The group, which hosted a major conference on the plan in 2011, is led by self-described feminist Rosa Coyri. Coyri wrote a book um, as well. Her book is called Behind the Green Mask, UN Agenda 21, and claims that the plan will ultimately bring on the economic collapse of the US. So there are people on both sides arguing the same thing. You can't say that it's a, you know, a one-sided issue. So there's, you know, people on both sides believing that there may be a problem with Agenda 21. While theorists and viral posts claim that items on the agenda include, again, the central claim is that it includes a one-world government, um, a single cashless currency, government-owned and controlled schools, colleges and universities, and an end to single-family homes. This is what um, the entire claim is about. Well, now, the agenda itself does include 31 items addressing global social and economic dimensions, conservation and resource management, role strengthening for women, children and workers, as well as proposed methods of implementation. Um, the items listed in the New World Order do not appear in Agenda 21. So exactly as they say, you know, like single cashless currency, one world government, all of this, like they don't really appear as it is in the Agenda 21. Uh, but for instance, there's no mention of currency, terms like military is also not mentioned. But there are brief mentions of some of the items on the claim. So, for example, the term central banking is present in reference to capacity building in developing countries. It is not described as a world central bank, 
you know, property rights are also addressed regarding protecting women's rights to property, but not not an end to all privately owned property. Uh, I'm going to link actually the actual document, Agenda 21, in my blog. It's over 300 pages, so I definitely have not read it. There's no way for me to say how true I think this conspiracy theory is. What I can say is that I can see where the conspiracy theory is coming from because there are some vague mentionings or hints about those things, right? People are just reading between the lines and trying to interpret if there are any hidden messages on the document. So I can't judge again and say if it's real. I'm just presenting to you what's out there. Um, Agenda 21 is real. It is an actual document. It's not a conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory is what the goal of that document is. But the document itself exists. If you're interested and you want to read all 350 something pages, make sure to check out my blog and take a look at it. Um, And you know, if you want to just read the conspiracy theory about it, if you look up Agenda 21, you're going to find more conspiracy than actual news about the, the document. So very easy to read more things there. But, you know, you definitely find tons of opinions on both sides, just like any other conspiracy theory. There's always going to be in favor and against. <laughs> well, you know, I think um, this was enough for today. We talked a lot of trash today. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned some new ways to reduce your personal waste and hopefully you can make some small changes to your lifestyle. But make sure you stay tuned for next Tuesday because we'll be talking about a specific movie and see how the environment and sustainability is portrayed there. We're jumping to pop culture. Also, check out my Instagram. I'm going to be posting another poll that's going to be featured in the next episode again. So stay tuned for that. And thank you so much for tuning in today. I'll see you all next Tuesday. Bye.